I just can't figure out if it's because you're advanced or because I'm stunted. You take the red pill. You stay in wonder. I am McLovin. You do not talk about Fight Club. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Glacé Film Club podcast. And yes, you're here, we're here, we made it. It's the start of the summer season of the podcast and it's our biggest one yet. Of course, we've got a lot of film reviews coming your way. There's a lot of great films out this summer that we're very excited to discuss and share with you. But also, this is going to be our biggest season yet for conversation episodes. I'll be chatting away with loads of different individuals from the industry, film, video, creative areas, sharing insights, having a good old chat. Ones that I've really enjoyed diving into and will enjoy diving into and hopefully you'll enjoy too. And today marks the first episode of that and this is an episode I've been very excited to share out. A conversation I was very excited to have as well and it proved to be a really great one. Today's guest is Damien Spandley from Curzon Cinema. Damien is the Director of Programming and Distribution Sales at Curzon and has been since 2016. Curzon are a chain of UK cinemas. If you don't know, they've got 17 across the UK and have been operating since 1934. So they've been at the heart of the UK cinema and film scene for quite a while now. They pride themselves on their programming and the eclectic range of films they show. So for anyone who's ever watched a Curzon film or been to a Curzon cinema, you'll know the range of films they have on there, not just the blockbusters, but a fantastic mix of arty arts house films that you can check out as well. They do have an on-demand service, as I mentioned, Curzon Home Cinema, and they also have a distribution arm to the company, Curzon Film, which Damien has a hand in both sides, being the director of programming and distribution sales, and we get some fantastic insights from him across the episode and find out how these two different elements work together. Curzon release their own films on the same date and date, both in the cinema and on their Curzon Home Cinema platform, so you can watch their films when they're in the cinema, at home, on demand, so they cover the whole country and make sure nobody's missing out on those releases. But if you do get a chance to go down to a Curzon Cinema, they are all fantastic buildings they have a wonderful setup there whether it be the bar setup where you can chill relax have a little chat before and after the film or the seating and the cinema screen itself all brilliant in lovely little buildings as well and the one we were in was no different beautiful building i'll get onto that in a minute on Curzon's website, they say that they're offering films that we believe are worth sharing that spark conversations and stay with you long after the lights have come up this is something that's at the heart of what Curzon stand for. You feel that passion and belief in eclectic film programming from Damien as we chat to him. And as I said, if you've ever been to a, a Curzon cinema, check one of their films out online or even look at their list of films, you'll see that lovely mix of films they offer. And this was something that really drew me into going visit Damien, have a chat with one of their cinemas and find out about what really drives his programming decisions. Damien really was a joy to chat with and he shares some amazing insights about how Curzon operates, the complexities of programming, and you'll probably find out some things that you didn't really know about the programming side. It's not just as simple as getting in there, picking a load of films and showing them. There's so many other elements that come into the play. But also you'll find out about the distribution side, how these two areas join together but on both sides of the fence what a distributor is looking for what a company's looking for when they're putting a film out there but what the cinemas look for when programming and choosing the films to show at what times in what cinema we also chat about damien's personal passion for cinema what got him into the industry why he loves film and cinema and what he's excited about in the future what keeps that film flame burning on on into the future and as I said, this is a side of the industry most people won't have an insight into unless you are part of the film and cinema industry. We love film. You listeners love film. We chat about it all the time. And the cinema experience is a very unique one. But what goes on from the production onward when films are being booked in cinema, films are being distributed by distribution company, there's so much more behind the scenes. And this is why this was an amazingly insightful conversation. And I'm very much looking forward to sharing it with you. This was recorded at Curzon Hoxton in London, 
beautiful building. We had the main cinema screen to ourselves before they opened and we had a fantastic chat in there. It was great just being sat in the seats in the middle row, soaking in the atmosphere of the cinema whilst we were talking about everything film and cinema related. I could have stayed in there for hours, but as you'll hear, we had a tight one-hour conversation where we cover plenty of topics which you can dive into and listen to in just one minute. But before that, I just want to say thank you to Damien for having me over at Curzon. Thank you for Curzon for inviting me over to have this chat. And without further ado, Here's my conversation with Damien Spandley. Hiya, Damien. Thank you for inviting me here to Curzon in Hoxton to have a little chat with you today. Very excited to be here. Thanks for joining. And I'm excited to chat about your role here, Curzon in general, and your love of film. And um, it's something that I've been wanting to find out about a lot um, over the past few months. But first, would you just give me a bit of in- an intro about who you are, what's your role here at Curzon, and kind of what you do on a day-to-day as part of your job? Sure. Yeah, happy to and welcome. Welcome to Curzon Thank Hoxton. You. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so my name is Damien Spandley. I work at Curzon and I work across Curzon Cinemas, Curzon Film, which is our distribution company, and Curzon Home Cinema. Mm-hmm. My role is Director of Program and Distribution Sales. So I run the teams that program the films in the cinemas. I run uh, home entertainment, uh, I run the Curzon home cinema team, and also the theatrical sales team. So all sort of like the sales activity for our distribution company, that's come, that falls under me. So there's kind of a lot of elements you've got to join up there. Is that something when you first started in the role, did you have a very specific area you're focused on and this is something you developed over the years of you've always had interest in those different sections? Well, actually joined Curzon originally about six years ago and maybe six and a half now and I joined purely the cinemas team Mm -hmm. so I joined as director of program and so my job was to head the team that watched all of the movies and curated the programs in the physical cinemas and we had a I had a dotted line into Curzon Home Cinema because we program Curzon Home Cinema as an online platform it's an online theatre and so we, it's very important that there is a continuation and you can see that the platform itself is supporting the films that we have in the cinemas. Um, but I had experience as a distributor. I'd had almost 10 years uh, working for independent distributors. And prior to that, I was a, a cinema programmer. So it felt at some point working at Curzon because we are vertically integrated and we have all these different things going yeah. on that at some point, my job might expand into into other areas of the business. Mm-hmm. So it's something like you said, you just kind of you've got into one area of it, and it's developed from there. Uh, just keeping in the area of how you kind of got into the industry, what began your love of film? How did that kind of start, and then what then led you to think, okay, I, I want to work in this sector? Well, I, I grew up in Blackpool and uh, was going to the cinema like any other sort of like young lad going to watch films. Uh, sort of giving my age away a little bit here, going to watch, you know, Michael Keaton's Batman and mm-hmm. those kind of movies. And used to enjoy going to the cinema, but never really envisaged that it could be a career. And uh, my actual, the first time I started to think about film in a different way was actually when I was working on the checkouts as a 16-year-old lad at Sainsbury's. And another young guy on the checkouts who actually went on to be a film director, Steve Barker, said to me you know you know the films you know you could you can do better you know what what about watching this yeah so he lent me a few movies i remember he lent me betty blue and um uh, blue velvet and films like that and i started to realize that there was more to film um than just the entertainment yeah. side yeah. and i actually wanted to be a, a an artist at the time i was i was heading towards uh, art college um, where I ended up re- with him as well, by the way, because oh. there, there was no real fil- outlet for film. Yeah. I hope there is now. I hope that if you're living in Blackpool, you can do a film A-level or something like that. But the, he wanted, to, he knew what he wanted to do. And I remember starring in his first sort of amateur movie, which was a kind of spoof horror called The Spooky Hollow. No, 
satanic goings on at the Spooky Hollow campsite. I hope, Steve, if you're listening to this, I hope you don't mind me revealing. Uh, uh, you so know, I can dig that you know, out. Yeah. So he was he was at art college, and we were all painting, and he was running around with a with a camcorder, and went on to Farnham, and you know, and uh, eventually you know realized his dream to direct movies. Um, but for me, he, you know, he changed my life in a sense because. I started to get excited about film. I started to explore. I mean, back then, you know, you, we didn't have the streaming to, uh, platforms, of course. And so, you know, blockbusters or your local video shop was usual or, or, you know, taping things in the early hours of the morning on BBC Two when they used to play show world cinema. That, that was how you used to access movies, especially, you know, I mean, eventually as I got older, you know, I had a motorbike and I used to go to Manchester Corner House, now home Manchester, you know, one of the, you know, one of the best regional film theatres in the country and uh, and then Dukes in Lancaster not far away I actually event eventually was able to program that cinema as well which was a privilege so that was my first sort of break into cultural cinema if yeah. you like yeah. and I used to go through the bargain uh, buckets of uh, the uh, of blockbusters and buy for you know 199 these movies that know Jim Jamoosh movies that perhaps then head office had sent them and then nobody watched them so they ended up in this in this bin in the corner of yeah. the shop when you could and that's how I started to explore cinema and then my first ever actual experience of programming I always say this I you know it wasn't official but I wrote to the UCI in Preston and they had a director's chair every mm -hmm. I can't remember if it was Tuesday or Wednesday they would show a film in their director's chair slot, there was a leaflet in the foyer, and and, it, and you know I used to I saw films by Vin Vendors, and I remember a reissue of Jules et Jim by uh, Truffaut, and so I started to you know go there regularly. So I wrote to them. I wrote to the manager rather ignorantly, thinking that the manager uh, programmed the films, and I said, you know what, I love your director's chair slot. You know, could you? please consider these movies. And I sent him a list of, you know, 12 films. And um, a few months later, all of those films were programmed in the cinema, in the order I wrote them in, okay, the, in the letter. brilliant, but that was so satisfying. I, yeah, <laughs> so I, you know, so I, so, uh, but there was a few differences, but I thought it was close enough to take, to, to okay. take it as mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was amazing. But even then I wasn't thinking about film as a career. I came to London to do history of art and was just then just this explosion of cinemas. You know, I went from being in a town where, you know, there was a two mainstream multiplex cinemas uh, to a city where you could watch repertory. You could go you know, at the time you could go to places like, well, the BFI is still repertory, but you could go to. Uh, Riverside in Hammersmith, uh, the Everyman was a, did a lot of repertory as well uh, in Hampstead, and you could you could basically I got time out every week, even though I still wasn't thinking about film as a career, mm -hmm. and I was able to you know ring circle all the films I would go and see. I went to see lots of really crazy stuff, um, and it was absolutely wonderful. And but it was a very sort of short period. Where I had a lot of time on my hands because I, you know, I could, you know, because I was a student, so I was able to work around cinema around uh, my studies, and I still wasn't thinking about film. I still was thinking, you know, um, maybe I should work in an art gallery, or maybe I should, you know, uh, continue to paint and create art, and maybe that could be my career. And I wasn't really sure. And then the big change came when I think it was the first summer of being here in London and I was determined not to go back to Blackpool. I, I'd had such a wonderful time in the big city that I wanted to stay, um, but I was going to be turfed out from my halls of residence. So I wrote to every single art gallery in London and I wrote, I mean, this is pre, I mean, I'm, I'm sure people had email at this moment, but I certainly didn't have one. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, it was, fa I mean, I had a fax. You know, that was a big <laughs> deal. Um, and a fax phone. And I wrote to every single cinema and I wrote oh, to every single gallery and I asked for summer work. And I ended up getting a job at the Design Museum, which at the time was down at Shad Thames. And, and that was great because that gave me something that kept me in London for that summer. But I got a, an interview at the Minima Cinema and there was, they had an incredible manager, a real, real mentor for me called Brindley Mitchell. 
and he phoned me up at my mum's house. I think I was there helping my dad clear soak the fencing in the back garden. And he said, would you like to come in for an interview? And yeah. I was said, oh, I'd love to. You know, yes. I think he was the only the only cinema that replied to me, actually. I think they were a little surprised having this letter from a student who was, you know, was probably a little bit overexcited and, but you know, uh, passionate, overpassionate. <laughs> yeah. Um, and anyway, I went in to see Brinley and th at the time he was running this 65 seater Pullman cinema that was originally built as the bar part of the Barclay Hotel, which in the 60s was one of the, you know, one of the real shining lights in the Savoy Hotel group over in Hyde Park, uh, Knightsbridge. And uh, it was built as part of the hotel, but eventually became a standalone cinema. And actually at the time, there wasn't a cinema in London like it, but it's very a familiar type of cinema now. It was, in a way, it was one of the first boutique cinemas in, in London. And he showed me around and it was a box office job. He took me into the projection room and I went nuts. I just was like, so excited by everything that I could see. Mm -hmm. This, you know, 35 mil, you know, twin Victoria projector uh, set up. I was excited. I was, you know, asking him what everything did, you know, and he phoned me up about a week later and said, I'm really sorry, but we've given the job to someone else. Um, but would you be interested in training as a projectionist? And okay. I was like, are you kidding? Yeah. Absolutely. So I, uh, that was my Saturday job and my summer job then for the rest of my studies. And Brinley was such a great guy. Uh, he was uh, passionate about film incredibly uh, funny and sort of sophisticated guy. He was very excited about uh, encouraging young people and culture. He had a really eclectic staff. And I think if, if you ever work in a cinema, you'll find there's loads of creative people there. You know, mm -hmm. I ran a cinema for five years, eventually my own cinema that I ran. And, you know, I had a staff of 25 people and there was students, young filmmakers. It was a really great place to work. And he encouraged me and gave me the latitude to start a film club. And that was when I really realized this is this is for me. You yeah. know, this is, yeah. you know, it's much more relatable, accessible than art. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I still in, I'm still interested in art. I'm not I never really kept it up, but I just fell in love with cinema. I fell in love with the way uh, it touched people, the way that everybody. I mean, sometimes I complain as a cinema programmer. One of the big challenges is that everybody around you has an opinion, a strong opinion on films, okay, particularly yeah. if you work in a film company. Yeah. So you have to really demonstrate that you have the qualities that separate you from everybody else mm -hmm. to be an actual, to, to be the person who chooses the movies. Um, but actually, you know, that's it's kind of why we're in it. You know, it's because you can go, you know, you can go, you can have a conversation with someone on the bus about what you do. You can talk to your mum and dad about what you do. Um, regardless of their taste, you can always find common ground. And that's what I really uh, enjoyed um, away, away from art was this idea of doing something that was quite vibrant and universally appreciated, whether you're whether you love Bellatar movies or whether you only watch the Marvel films. And that's the so I took a year out of university to develop this film club into a sort of short film agency and with some friends. I wasn't I didn't do it alone. Um, we took we took it to Edinburgh and had a, did a show in Edinburgh. Uh, we, we we were cabaret and film. Um, we called ourselves Synergy, and we had an absolutely brilliant time. Yeah, and we, yeah, we eventually do. We we we, we did shows at uh, the Everyman Hampstead. We did weekender events at the ICA, and it was very very exciting for a period. And 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 by that point, I, you know, I had to be persuaded to go back to finish my degree, but I did go back and finish it. Um, and then when I want again, the same, same, same situation that I was in at the beginning of my studies, I, I was very keen to stay in London and, uh, but I needed a job. And, uh, at that point, Brindley had sort of developed me in to a point where I was duty managing the cinema. And, uh, so I got a job at 23, I think I was working for Remain Heart, um, who recently passed away. And she was a real powerhouse of independent cinema in London. And she ran and owned the mainline cinema, that's the Screen Cinemas Group. So they eventually sold to Everyman. So many of Everyman, well, Everyman's original circuit, so Screen on the Green, Screen on Baker Street, um, Screen on the Hill, which is uh, now Everyman Bellsize Park. 
those cinemas uh, were all owned by the Hart family. And I, she gave me a job uh, as a manager, which was quite a responsibility at yeah. 23 yeah, yeah. Uh, in the West End. I managed to screen on Bake Street, which is now the Everyman Bake Street. And I worked there for uh, five years, but was very, very keen after a couple of years to get into programming and mm -hmm. to really do something a little, you know, I mean, you have to be creative to run a cinema, yes. particularly yeah. if you're staffing it properly with creative people. But I was very keen to become a programmer and um, and uh, eventually did a course, which the ICO, now at the time it was the BFI and the Burt Beck, but now the ICO run it. So if there's anyone listening to this who's interested in knowing more about uh, the whole broad of independent film industry, um, and including a bit of the mainstream studio stuff as well, then the uh, cultural exhibition course, I hope I've got this right, um, it, it's still being run by the ICO once a year. And I did that course. And from there, I learned a lot about how the whole industry works. Mm -hmm. But I also met lots of great people, some of whom are still friends. And I was able through network, very important in our industry, I was noticed um, by Lynn Golby, who uh, was at the time was co-owner and MD of Pitch House Cinemas, and she was scouting for new, you know, young, okay. young yeah, talent, yeah. I guess. And um, eventually, she gave me a job, a start. Her, her and her and um, Tony Jones, who's a real legendary um, programmer, they gave me a start as a, a young programmer at Pitch House, and that's how I was able to leave. The cinema and and start programming. Mm -hmm. Oh, it sounds like a very kind of organic growth into the industry that was, as you say, something that you became passionate about, yeah. and then only kind of discovered later there was, there was a route through it. And that's kind of what I really love about film and and the industry is it's passionate people doing creative things and finding different ways to kind of put that out there and and connect together with it. Just going back to the kind of very specific element of cinema itself and you said kind of as you first got into film it was via cinema but also finding different films and obscure ones um on video but in terms of cinema and obviously that's at the forefront of Curzon and we're here today in uh, Hoxton been open about a year and a half what for you makes a good cinema experience as obviously Curzon really pride themselves and and on the experience and the whole kind of part and coming into the place but what do you and what brought you into that but what do you look for in a, a strong cinema experience well i think it's changed over the years i think people's expectations of experience have, have changed and i think that i mean cinema over the years has had to adapt to numerous challenges um you know television yeah. um video it's it's now streaming and we've always been able to adapt and we've always been able to survive um, by being nimble, being able to change, mm -hmm. but also by kind of upping our game. And I think what, at the moment, people expect more luxury and comfort. I mean, here, here we are in this cinema, like you say, it's less than two years old. Um, it's incredibly comfortable. We, we're both slightly reclined in our yeah. seats. It's, uh, and it's, it's, very, it's very nice. <laughs> but I think back to my early days of going to the cinema, where I would go to cinemas that were freezing cold, <laughs> having no leg room, and incredibly comfortable seats. I mean, I once, um, I once went to see Strictly Ballroom um, in a cinema where there was so much rubbish that I had to wade through it to leave, you know, to leave <laughs> the cinema. So it wasn't like I didn't have great experiences in those cinemas because yeah. for me, I'm a film guy, and if the film uh, is talking to me and I'm connecting with the movie. I'm not so worried about, you know, where I am, mm -hmm. but obviously, you know, the experience you have. I mean, I was lucky enough as a as a student, I I went I I, I traveled with a friend to Prague and we saw a film festival on the Leggy Bridge. So outdoor screening, you would go and buy a beer from underneath the bridge arch and sit in you know in the moonlight mm -hmm. and watch. Thelma and Louise, Science of Lambs. It was an American film festival. Okay. And those are unforgettable experiences yeah. for me because, you know, I watched these movies. We went to see 
Unforgiven in a in a cinema that was a sort of converted bar where the where the screen went round the corner because they didn't have enough reach for the projector. <laughs> you know, so like so. You know, so I think memorable. They're, they're memorable. Yeah, that's the word. They're memorable. And I think what we try and do at Curzon is we try and make we try and you know we curate the films that we show. And it's not that we are snobby. You know, some of our cinemas are actually pretty mainstream could we program for the audience it's one of the things i was saying you know everybody has an opinion about film but finding the right movies for the right audience is a real skill of being a programmer so if we have a location where the audience is more mainstream orientated then we will program to those needs but we'll always try and keep a little bit of curzon in there with you know curzon um uh film artificial eye the distribution company started as artificial eye in 1976 as a distributor, we still love world cinema. Eight of the last, I think it's eight of the last 12 international Oscar winners are Curzon Films in the UK. Right. So right. that's kind of our heart. That's our beat, beating heart, yeah, our yeah. passion. But you know, still, we want our cinemas to connect with, the, with their local audiences. So we try and create an experience where uh, you will want to come to a venue because it's a real, very pleasant. We don't want you to be wading through rubbish just to be very. We want you to. We want you to be able to, you know, have a drink, uh, sit in a comfortable seat. Um, uh, we have fantastic menus, great food, and it's also a very important revenue stream for us now. Again, as cinemas have to adapt to the challenges like the stream streaming platforms. Um, and all the other challenges that we've had to adapt to, um, you know, the restaurant scene in the um, 2010s, you know, the, these other leisure activities, we have to become more competitive and more attractive. And so, for you know, for us, if you you're coming to a Curzon Cinema, we hope you get great hospitality, great service, that you can you can have you can you can hang out in the bar, you can talk to your friends, you can go to the bar afterwards, and you can chat about the movie that you've seen. But you'll also get to see great movies, and hopefully the films will speak to you and they'll appeal to yeah. you. Yeah, and there is that lovely element of that community aspect of being able to discuss afterwards. And I feel like a lot of people I speak to that, and and my own my own passion on that is that's where an extra connection comes from. It's it's starting a conversation. I think at Curzon, as you say, you've been able to go into the bar afterwards and and discuss what's just been put in front of you is one of the the extra powers of cinema. Um, I could bang on about that all day, but I wanted to touch on a bit more about your role here. And we mentioned it at the beginning, but it's quite multifaceted what you do at Curzon. But specifically on the programming side of things, for people who don't know too much about the industry, what does that role specifically involve and what are you kind of doing on a day-to-day -day basis in putting all of that together? Well, there's more movies being released in the UK than ever before. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's approximately 18 films a week right. are going into cinemas. And uh, we're here in a three-screen cinema. Mm -hmm. Some of our cinemas are five screens. Obviously, in the, in the olden days, I mean, this, when this cinema opened, because this, this venue was originally a cinema, it opened in 1914. It was a Gaumont cinema. It was a single-screen cinema, which was very typical of the time. And I think it was 600 or so seats, one screen. And uh, you know, there's just no way. I mean, we 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 have we have one cinema now in Richmond, which is our only single screen cinema, and it's a it's a real challenge to program mm -hmm. it when you think about the plethora of choice every Friday. So cinemas now we do have some five we have many five screens. They're much much more pleasurable to program because obviously when you choose one movie over another, there's you know you're going to uh, upset or you know um, close that that other film yeah, off to of part of your audience so uh, this is the kind of one of the key challenges that the programming team have they we have 17 cinemas now around the UK um, that's we originally started just with one cinema in uh, in Mayfair in 1934 and we've grown the circuit beyond London now and 17 venues various screen sizes and m most of them have unique personalities but they can also be grouped as well mm -hmm. so what the programmers do is firstly they have to understand um, the personality of the each cinema's specific audience 
and also kind of make connections between the cinemas. So there's a sort of overlying strategy around programming, which is very important. And they might do that by uh, talking to the managers, getting uh, information from the ground. They'll do it mainly, though, by looking at the numbers, uh, trial and error over the years. We um, comp data, very important when you're a programmer. Okay. And it's not just about how a specific cinema performs. It might be about how certain films have historically performed in that city or town. It might be uh, when the film uh, is being released abroad. I mean, the, the amount of information that touches into programming mm -hmm. is pretty vast. Um, we, 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 we watch the movies, or at least you know one or two people from the team will watch each film. Uh, we may watch them uh, festivals. If, you know, some, we go to these certain key festivals each year. Uh, we are we certainly watch them. They put the the distributors who are releasing those films will put them on for us in in uh, preview mm -hmm. screenings. Um, we'll already know be building up data about that particular filmmaker, maybe the cast, the genre, that all the, all of that kind of thing. Then you have the kind of gut feeling when you see the movie and whether you feel it will work. Yeah, you know, okay. wh what are the critics going to say about it? You know, and which reviews are more important than others? Um, I often see billboards on the tube where I can tell just by looking at the at where the reviews are coming from what the positioning is of the movie okay Posi that's fascinating. And that, yeah and that, that well that that word positioning is actually really important because I don't know a good an example could be you know before we had this uh, amazing new genre of sort of meta horror where you have Ari Aster and you have um, you know Saint Maud and you have these really interesting horror movies coming through and they appeal to both art house and genre audiences, which is great for us, especially as we're sort of trying to grow younger audiences to come mm -hmm. into our cinemas, um, because those, those films are both mainstream, but they also feel Curzon as well. Before we had that, you, would ha you might have an art house horror, and that would be something that might, you know, it's, it might kind of like be a contradiction because you have these two different audiences. Well, what's the distributor going to do? Are they going to go for the art house okay. audience or are they going to go for... Now they can go for both because it's been an established genre. But yeah. before then, you know, what are they going to go for? And the programmers need to sort of understand all of that. So they need to understand how films are being marketed. Um, you know, so we actually look at things like, you know, what's the poster like? Is that poster going to work for our audience or are yeah. they trying to really sell it to a multiplex audience? Because I suppose if they're marketing it, that's going to affect who's yeah. coming into your cinema. So it's very, very sophisticated. All of this, it's a huge you know, amount of data and it all has to be filtered into a, a, a decision. Mm -hmm. you know, and that decision might be... So when I was a young programmer, uh, we had maybe six movies out a week and I was lucky enough to be programming some fantastic art house cinemas and there might be maybe, you know, one very clear world cinema choice each week. And it was quite easy in a sense, because I knew that, you know, that that would be the film that all of the broadsheets would review okay. as their main film of the mm -hmm. week. And that there would be a dedicated audience that would go to it. And, you know, they, did, they weren't able to satisfy their cultural needs by going onto Amazon or you know or uh, you know Apple TV, um, they'd either have to buy the film on DVD or um, you know or they'd come to the you know cinema. And of course, you had to wait a long time for that DVD to come out as well. So you had this captive audience, and you had everything kind of working towards getting that audience into the cinemas. Um, it's not low, no, after digital. Um, so obviously, we you know my fortunately my thirty five mil projection skills are no longer. Um, uh, <laughs> are, no, are no longer required but when digital came in uh, all of those kind of barriers to releasing films in cinema and most of which were commercial you know the cost of 35mm prints um, uh, even the cost of marketing because to market a movie you know you weren't able to do so digitally and online and, and much more in the focused way as you can now so it's very expensive to release movies um, those barriers all fell away and now you have this sort of plethora of films that, mm -hmm. are, that are being off, on, on offer and for the broadsheet reviewers, they have to choose which films they have to curate what they interview, what they what they review. Yeah, yeah. And so you're so I so I'm I can't say this French movie or this you know this this German Oscar nominated film that film is going to be the film that everybody wants to see next Friday. Mm -hmm. 
because alongside it will be two or three similar kind of movies. Okay, so there's much more detail going into how you've yeah. got to look at what's coming out and what's on offer there than there might yeah. have been previously. Absolutely. So that and and this, by the way, we're 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 going on and on about this, but this is all about the decision about whether a film plays. Yes. There's still after that lots of other many decisions that have to take place, like, you know, how do you play the movie? Do you what kind of shows do you give it? Mm. What slots in the day do you give it? Do you give it split shows, which is a matinee and an evening show? Do you give it all shows? What is it that the distributor requires? What terms are they offering the movie on? Because mm -hmm. we generally split the box office with the distributor. Um, are those terms? amenable to us? Do we have to try and negotiate them down? We're also negotiating on a, on a number of other movies that week, so which one will be the one that plays? And do we have to offer a portfolio approach where perhaps we'll give them the, half the sites on one film and another distributor will get the other half? Okay. So there's all of this kind of thing going on. Um, and then when the film is playing, it kind of happens again every single week. Mm -hmm. So um, on a Monday, holdover Monday, what will happen is the distributors who have placed movies with us or are looking to maybe increase the footfall of a film they're releasing on the Friday, they will all look at the numbers. Uh, so all of our numbers are kind of public within the industry. So um, they can all see what, what films are doing every weekend in our cinemas, same as we can. And then the programmers and uh, all film bookers or film buyers, because we use different words depending on where you sit in the industry, mm -hmm. multiplex, programmers tend to be film buyers or bookers and the cultural programmers prefer the word programmers we go in on a monday and or even start on a sunday night and we know we look at the at the figures we look at where things are working so it might be that a film is on all shows but it's doing much better at the six o'clock show and not so well at the nine o'clock mm -hmm. show and then we look at what we've already prepared because you can't just book films every monday i mean some some companies do that, you know, or you might leave gaps each Monday, but you want to try and book ahead so that you can put things on advanced sale. Um, and then we negotiate the schedule. You know, we design what we want the schedule for next week to be. And then we go to the distributors and mm -hmm. we negotiate, you know, this is what we want to do with your movie next week. Okay. And um, the distributor may be, well, I don't want to lose shows next week. I feel I've done well enough to continue. And then th th that's kind of... That's the negotiation That's the there, negotiation, that? yeah. Okay. No, it's fascinating. And as I said, I think on the surface, a lot of people just presume, okay, you pick the films and there you go, run with it. But the amount of detail and stuff that goes on beyond just the initial selection, I think is quite fascinating. And uh, many people probably wouldn't be privy to that. So it's interesting to hear about that. In terms of your unique setup here in your role, but Curzon as a whole, how does it play in with your role, the fact that you are on the distribution side as well? Does that impact and, and give you a unique insight when you are coming to programming films and how do they kind of play alongside each other, those two elements? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, some people would say it's a conflict okay. because we, yes, we release movies, we release up to, well, around 20 films a year into cinemas. And those films, I mean, just to be clear, uh, vertical integration is very important. It's very important to us, not just in not just culturally, but also in terms of the the, our, the commerce of the business. We 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 go. Uh, we have a, a fantastic acquisitions team led by uh, Louisa Dent, who's le legend legendary nose in the business. And they go to well, they they read scripts. They go to uh, festivals. They've just come back from Cannes and uh, they're buying movies principally for our cinemas and you know and we you know we you know we, we you know we consider our cinemas to be the gold standard of those releases and um the, the way the business works is that we have these three important elements the cinemas distribution curzon home cinema and they all support each other mm -hmm. so if we get it right we can buy a film that will be delivering revenue into our cinemas. And of course, we're not sharing that revenue, crucially, with a third-party distributor. Okay, yeah. And we'll play a Curzon Home Cinema because, um, very importantly, Curzon Home Cinema is a day-and-date platform. So that means that from the day, usually, not, not always, but typically, we release films on our home cinema platform on the same day that they go into cinemas. 
and we could probably do a whole podcast just on that subject. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then my job is I'm I'm managing uh, the team that does the holdovers on both sides of the fence on a Monday for Curzon Film. Um, they work fairly. They don't you know they're very experienced. They're very they're very they're great teams. I kind of oversee and make sure you know if the conf if there's conflict or there's problems because we can't just. Uh, blindly play on movies uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks in our cinemas. Um, we would that would be a problem for our relationships with third-party distributors. Mm -hmm. It also wouldn't be great for business to just sort of like play a film to you know to houses that are, are, that are falling away. Yeah. So it's about it's a balance between sort of supporting our movies, um, making sure they're looked after, making sure they're in the right venues. Um, but at the same time, making sure that we have one eye on the overall three of our cinemas to make sure that we're, you know, supporting, you know, and our cinemas tend to be on the more of the art house side, our, sorry, our films rather, it tends to be on the, more on the art house side. And we have a broad range of films. I mean, I think more than any circuit in the UK, we play all of the big mainstream movies all the way down to the, you know, Venezuelan dramas. You know, we okay. play the whole yeah. gamut of movies because we have such diverse personalities across our our estate of cinemas um and uh so that's where that's me on a monday sort of man managing those mm -hmm. two sides i guess yeah so i suppose as you say they play into each other it's finding that balance between obviously satisfying the distribution needs of curzon but also making sure that you can still keep a, a variety of films programmed. Yeah, within, absolutely. Because if I say to, if we say to a studio um, or any distributor, you know, you're only getting a matinee a day next week. Yeah. And they say, well, what are you doing with your movie? <laughs> and we say, well, we're giving our film four shows a day, yeah. but they their film did better over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to very quickly burn our relationship yeah. so it's a it, it's that it's that it's having one eye on those relationships but it's also but the other thing is that you know footfall is king i mean it seems like a really obvious thing to say but there are lots of other things that behind footfall are important for instance you know what terms are you playing are you going to be paying most of the money over to a studio because it's a big movie and they're spending millions promoting it so they're expecting um, a bigger piece of the pie or are you going to go with a smaller movie where you're maybe paying, um, uh, where you're keeping most of the box office, but that footfall will be smaller. Well, the other thing about footfall that's inc incredibly crucial, more important to cinemas than ever, is food and beverage and yes. how important that revenue stream mm -hmm. is. And I think that's, uh, it's, I mean, for a very long time now, since the multiplexes came to the UK in the mid 80s, uh, food and beverage, or you know, back then we would say kiosk sales, now it's a much more sophisticated offer mm -hmm. is really important to cinemas and no more so than now because obviously we are still recovering from covid we're still box office uh figures are still you know 20 percent or below where we'd like them to be so footfall is important because you can because you've guaranteed a certain amount of revenue from each of those well on average across your audience so food and beverages are becoming a much more important revenue stream to cinemas and will continue to do so for the future yeah yeah and like you said still in that phase of recovery and often we quickly move on from those things in our minds don't we it's as if like oh we're back at it but um we have to remember how much the industry suffered off the back of um covid so interested to hear how that whole balance comes together I just want to go back to how you mentioned and, and touched upon it before, the, the streaming element. Obviously, Curzon has got its own um, streaming platform. How does that play into, again, your programming, your offering? And how do you see the industry in the future with streaming being such a big player now in, in film and cinema? And how do those things all work together going forward? Yeah, so I mean, so streaming, I would say it's fair to say, and we work very closely with some of the streamers uh, um, uh, on their theatrical releases. So... Uh, you know, so I have to give a good balanced answer to this because it's a challenge, obviously, to us as a, a cinema. You know, I think I read somewhere that there was 12 million new streamers created in the first lockdown. Right. And I know, for instance, from experience that my parents, for instance, now mm -hmm. have Netflix and um, uh, and Disney Plus. And uh, prior to lockdown, they, you know, they would, they, they, you know, they, they just weren't interested. So there's a whole, you know, new generations um, and a lot of older customers which you know 
our audience traditionally used to be older, but we're doing really well at the moment, particularly with our under 25 membership to grow new audiences. Uh, we, we feel we've lost them a little bit to streamers streaming and, um, and that's fine. On the, on the flip side, we are able to work with streamers and they do offer, um, particularly, you know, everybody's aware, you know, the money that they spend on production and the filmmakers and the talent that they can attract, that they are, there is something exciting there potentially happening for the theatrical um, audiences in the future. And we work with Netflix, where we're one of the, uh, because we go day and date with our own films, we, do, we don't have any hang-ups around the windows in the same way that some yeah. of the bigger uh, multiplex companies do and you know if a Netflix traditionally release movies um, on a couple of weeks window so two weeks in cinemas then they go onto the platform um, uh, Apple have often done day and date with their own platform um, our view is that transactional VOD which is sort of like we, we just to be clear we, we view Curzon Home Cinema as an online theatrical experience you know that's what we that's what we're looking for yeah. so we don't use the word streaming or anything like that what we're doing is we're saying if you want to watch this theatrical film in your home same day that's in cinemas then you know you can pay a transactional price to watch this movie um subscription is a bit more challenging because yeah. it's a kind of all you can eat offer mm -hmm. So um, we feel that that is a bit more of a threat to cinemas than the transactional premium VOD offer that we, that we operate on Curzon Home Cinema. But I think that, you know, where often where a challenge is, is hurting your business, there are other opportunities. And, you know, this year we're going to have, you know, at, you know uh, every year the Netflix movies, you know, they get better and better. Yeah. And, you know, and we've seen with films like uh, The Irishman and Glass Onion that those that if the film is powerful and strong enough, then our customers will come to our cinemas to watch them, even if they're Netflix subscribers. And I know that the stats around uh, Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime Video and is that that. that, that they're heavy consumers of film and they're actually more likely to be coming to the cinema more often okay. than than customers who aren't streaming yeah, yeah, films yeah. so it's just kind of finding a way to navigate through all of that making your experience as attractive as possible here we are in this lovely cinema mm -hmm. um you know you if you really want to see a movie in the first week or two of release that's going to be on netflix or uh, prime video and you you know you really want to see it it's you're getting the reviews you're getting theatrical campaigns then go to your local cinema with friends and watch it and have a much better, different experience than watching it at home. And, you know, we're going to have Apple are going to be releasing uh, Ridley Scott's Napoleon in cinemas with a theatrical window. I think it's going to probably be a month or at least maybe more uh, this year. And we have obviously Killer Rose, the new Martin Scorsese. These films are going to be hits. Mm -hmm. And I, what I hope is that they continue to make great films because at the end of the day, it's all about that word that people in my industry don't like, which is content. Okay. And if the content <laughs> is strong enough, yeah. uh, then people will come to the cinema uh, to watch it. I think the, the challenge that we have at the moment is that there's a kind of a middle market that we used to all rely on distributors and cinemas. And that market has been kind of cleaned away. Mm -hmm. So I suppose you have, you still have the smaller movies, the specialist movies, and down the road from here, we have Curzon Bloomsbury, which has been doing great business throughout everything because it's uh, small cinemas that for many, many years, you know, decades, that's, that cinema has been dedicated to world cinema, art house, critically acclaimed niche movies. And it's just a go-to place for that kind of cinema. And that's great. So, you know, those are, you know, that's the kind of like lower, if you like commercially, the lower yeah, part yeah. of the market. And then you have the tent poles. So, you know, everybody went to see Top Gun Maverick mm -hmm. last year. And, you know, we're getting great numbers for um, the new Spider-Verse movie okay. this weekend. Um, those tent pole movies, people will go to the cinema. It's that middle market where okay. perhaps the streamers are taking away sort of like the business. And so the, our, my industry has to find a way to kind of like navigate around all of that. Yeah. Yeah, and I get that. And what you said at the start of that, the word experience, I think, comes into a lot. Like you said, Curzon are offering something unique apart from, against maybe a, a more traditional setup where you've got the whole experience. You're not just coming to 
watch the film then leave you've got the element where you can get the community where you're speaking to people and you're having a chat afterwards and like you said sat in a lovely setting like this and it's something I often think of and like you said there's a lot of things at play there in the future of the industry you mentioned earlier how there's more films being released per week now than ever obviously the British film industry over the last 10 20 years has been thriving and producing a lot of film obviously knocked in the last few years in terms of like struggles with productions and cinemas but where do you see the future of the industry going and what do you want to see out of it with the development of streaming but also a lot of new films being made where do you see film and cinema in the next few years developing into well I'm, i'd like to think that the streamers will continue to develop their theatrical teams at the moment it's still a quite nascent stage and i'd like to see in the future. So what I would like to see is that the studios are continuing to produce those tentpole films that we all need. They all, they're all driving the box office. And that's important, by the way, because it allows companies like Curzon, because we are a commercial company, we don't receive any public subsidy. So, you know, you look around the country and, you know, there's some fantastic regional film theatres, um, Bristol Watershed, uh, Home Manchester, as mentioned, um, Glasgow Film Theatre, terrific theatre. And those guys do a fantastic job and they are cultural specialized cinemas, but they do receive public subsidy to help them do that. So firstly, I do hope that public subsidy continues yeah. because it yeah. seems to be you know, constantly under challenge, uh, being challenged. Um, and those cinemas are important to us as a distributor because they play our movies in locations where we don't have cinemas. Cool. Um, so I think that's really important. I think we have to continue to support cultural film. But the big tentpole movies allows the industry to also support those movies. I mean, and they certainly allow us anyway, as with a cross broad range of cinemas, you know, if we have uh, Spider-Verse working really well in one section of our circuit, mm -hmm. it allows us to support the art house, uh, smaller movies yeah, in okay. another area of our circuit. So that, that's very, there's an ecosystem there that's very important. I think the streamers have an opportunity not only to build profile for movies that will ultimately serve their business well with subscriptions down the line, but also to actually create and generate revenue for their businesses. And I think that's the big change that needs to happen. And we're seeing right now, actually, that uh, MGM, which has been acquired by Amazon, they have an amazing slate of big movies. Air was the latest one with Ben Affleck and, and um, Matt Damon. And they, uh, they also work with some amazing filmmakers like uh, Luca Guadagnino. And they have struck a deal with Warner to make sure that those films will continue to be released in a, a sort of traditional theatrical way okay. with, with, with windows that mean that they can do mainstream releases without the branding of Amazon Prime, because often when you see that N appear on a trailer, it educates the audience to mm -hmm. know that that film will be in there on their TV in a right. few weeks. Yeah, yeah. So that's another kind of like, you know, okay, conversation. So that makes that subtle difference there. Yeah, the absolutely. So I think in the future, what I'd like to see is the streamers continuing to work with cinemas and to build their theatrical businesses, both to generate revenues for themselves, but also to support their business. And that that's a, I mean, you know, be great to have somebody from a streamer here that we could question about this because so uh, because you know because i don't know where they think their yeah. thinking is but they 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 do make great films that are fantastic in the cinemas and their filmmakers want them to be seen in the cinemas mm -hmm. and to be fair they do release a lot of movies in the cinemas but we'd like to see those films sort of being treated a little bit more like theatrical releases so that we can see that you know that footfall and it would support our business I think that, you know, in general, in terms of the future of cinema, I think there'll be some consolidation, you know, you know, sadly, we're seeing some cinemas close. Um, Odeon Blackpool, where, you know, my home, hometown, that's mm -hmm. that's just closed. Um, but there's a new cinema coming and uh, I think we'll see some consolidation in, the, in exhibition and um, which I think you know, makes me sad, but it might be what the industry needs a little bit, you know, in terms of uh, uh, concurrency and exclusivity in yep. certain locations. Some locations in the UK are really overscreened and, mm -hmm. um, and that can be difficult uh, for those individual businesses. Um, and, you know, I just think that, you know, I'm a great believer in stories and I'm a great believer in how cinema 
is the best way to communicate a story to an audience. And if you are interested in stories, and I think we all are, then being in a cinema, having that direct relationship with this, this huge screen in front mm -hmm, of us, mm -hmm. with the lights down, in the, with the community of people, I mean, that, that's gonna be what will help cinema. Yeah. That's why cinema will survive. And as long as we have talented filmmakers who are continuing to come up with new stories, uh, then I think we'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm being a little bit naive and romantic. No, I think that, that's, that's a nice uh, optimistic message, which I think uh, <laughs> we can get on board with. And I like that vision of the f future of cinema because I fully agree with that in terms of the cinema experience. It's something that's absolutely unrivaled and that's what draws you back in. And yeah. absolutely the quality of film continues to keep going and growing in different areas. And it's, I think, absolutely just still encouraging people that, yes, streaming's there, but this experience in a cinema yeah. is is unrivaled. Yeah. Just before we wrap up, I just wanted to kind of go back to the beginning again and then bring it all together. And how you said you got into film, of it was a very organic way, feeling the passion about it, people sharing films. And this is something I love is giving recommendations and receiving recommendations. But you, by now, after working in the industry for a while, would have watched tons of films and still watch a lot of films. What is it that keeps you excited and hooked and wanting to be in the industry? Because a lot of people might think, oh, you're just watching film after film endlessly. Can that get a bit draining? But you're still here doing this and talking passionate, passionately about it. What is it that keeps you hooked by film and cinema? Well, m well, most of my friends who don't work in film think that basically uh, I just watch movies all day. Yeah. I, I wish that, w I really do wish that was true. I mean, it, uh, the reality is that actually we're working in business. Yes. And so what I'm actually, I'm more likely to be looking at a spreadsheet than I am watching a movie, <laughs> unfortunately. But the thing about working in film and why I love it, regardless about how, I don't know, how boring it can be in terms of like what happens in the run-in to getting something on screen, is one, you're creating that magic for people and that's, that's the ultimate goal and you're always, you're always aware of mm -hmm. that. And uh, also I do get moments during the year, like perhaps if I go to a film festival where I will watch films every day mm -hmm. and that's the best thing. Yeah. Um, I think I watched 45, 45 movies at Toronto Film Festival well, okay. uh, in a, a period point. of about eight days. So, you know, it's five, six films a day. Mm -hmm. And I still get this unbelievable thrill when I'm in a cinema and the lights go down and, the, you know, and, uh, you know, the light flies across the room and I go so that for me that's 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 my you know that's you know great romance for me um but there's also other great things about working in film you're surrounded by people who are incredibly passionate about the thing that you're incredibly passionate mm -hmm. about and that's incredibly important and uh I'm happy for my friends to think that I just watch movies all day <laughs> even if it's incredibly reductive view of what I actually do for a living um, because, you know, because, uh, because I kind of wish that I, that's what I was doing yeah. and ultimately I'm creating that opportunity for other people and that's the main thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for answering all those questions and inviting me along here today. It's been a great insight to hear about what you do, but what Curzon are doing as a cinema group. And for me as a cinema lover, it's great to get a kind of peek behind the curtain and uh, see what goes on behind the scenes. So thank you very much. I'm sure the audience will enjoy it as much as I have. Thanks, really it's great to meet you. Thank you. Well, there we have it. There was my conversation with Damien Spanley, the Director of Programming and Distribution at Curzon Cinema. What an amazing chat that was. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was very excited to get into London, into the heart of the cinema, sat there in the screen, chatting away, really felt the atmosphere and the, and the history of film and cinema there. And as you heard, we really dived into some great topics. I was excited by it, but you could feel the passion for film coming from Damien. That's what's great about this industry. Me and Callum often ch chat about this within our review episodes, but cinema is so much more than just the entertainment. It's what it gives people. It's the conversation it sparks and the community it creates. And Curzon absolutely buy into this with the buildings that they create and the cinema screens and the, the setting that's there, but also the films that they program and that eclectic mix that I mentioned and, and Damien shared with us. Damien and Curzon were unbelievably welcoming, so thank you very much for that. I'll definitely be back at Curzon very soon in a 
spectator capacity watching a film and watching one of their many great films that they have programmed in there what was so great about this was getting a look at that side of the industry that you're not normally privy to and this is what's great about these conversations and the conversation episodes here on the podcast is that we get a little look inside the industry we hear inside the minds and the thoughts of the individuals as part of this but we look at areas that you wouldn't necessarily learn about hear about when you're just watching a film or chat about it it's such an extensive industry there's so many creative passionate people in it and that's what makes it really we're watching the creative output that comes there but the people involved with it are just as passionate even if they're not making the films but the ones who are distributing programming discussing critiquing this is something that really excites me and why I love speaking to people who share that similar passion. It's great being here to share these episodes with you, all the listeners. I know you appreciate passion and creativity in film and hopefully this comes across in our reviews, my questioning to the individuals that we chat to and also their answers and insights that they give. But that's it for today. Once again, thank you for listening to the Glacé Film Club podcast. As I said, this is just the start of a very exciting summer season to come up. I hope you enjoyed this episode, but until next time, we'll see you all later.